Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades from movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton, along with me on this journey back into the 80s is my good friend, Jason Masek. Hello, Jason. Bill Bant. You know, I have to admit, lately I've noticed you went from totally geek to totally chic. Thank you, Jason. Uh, and just if you have a guess by now, today's movie is 1987's teen comedy Can't Buy Me Love, starring Patrick Dempsey and Amanda Peterson, directed by Steve Rash. The movie is rated PG-13 with a running time of one hour and 34 minutes. So, Jason, uh, let's tell everybody what this movie is about in our first segment called What's on the Box. So if you went to your local video store and went to go rent this movie, this is what you would find written on the back of the VHS box. Absolutely. And here we go. Nowhere man Ronnie Miller is secretly in love with Cindy Mancini, the prettiest, most popular girl on campus. When Cindy finds herself in a desperate predicament, Ronnie steps in to save the day. For a price. Cindy must pose as Ronnie's girl so that her popularity might rub off on him. But the road to popularity takes an unexpected twist when Ronnie becomes so cool that his former friends feel the chill. Cindy is left totally out in the cold, and Ronnie himself discovers that money might buy you popularity, but it can't buy you love. All right, so that's our What's in the Box. Um, Earliest memory. Jason, what is your earliest memory of Can't Buy Me Love? When I think of this movie, and it is near and dear to my heart, serious nostalgia, Bill Band, for me, uh, I do have a connection to this film. I mean, gosh, this was my early teens. I was 13, 14, freshman, sophomore year, high school. My early memories um, are right off the bat, the writer, lawnmower, gosh, the, the, the wine on the white suede jacket, the... The blonde girl, the lead girl, the captain of the cheerleading squad. I always thought that is the ideal girl. That's the girlfriend. That's that is uh, was my um, kind of like what I, I was looking for in a girlfriend in high school. That's what she was supposed to look like and be like. Uh, definitely the blonde bully, which is funny. After watching this film, I'm not even so sure he was really that much of a bully. But uh, but I rec- remember him. Of course, the African anteater ritual dance. These are all my earliest like memories that have stayed with me since 1987, since first seeing that film. So immediately when I hear the title, those are the things that pop into my mind right away. And speaking of the, the blonde bully, who is Big John, that's the character's name in this film. I This is going to be a question for you, Bill, right off the bat. Did he and or this film originate the slow clap if you catch my drift yes you know it's funny when i was watching this and the slow clap happened i just busted out laughing because i'm like there's yeah. the slow clap we make so much fun of all those movies with the slow clap and there it was yeah and he was the one that started it okay th- that's put my earliest memory of the slow clap that builds and everybody joins in because that is one of my earliest memories that has stayed with me too is the, the final scene when that uh, when that happens and I was like wait is this is this where it all stems from? I think there's a movie earlier than that. I think Lucas. Oh, okay, which maybe came out the year before. That that entirely possible. 
Well, we may have yeah, to revisit that. Yeah, Lucas was 1986, and that ends in the slow clap, too. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. But that was funny, because I just happened to watch that film clip this week, and I was like, oh, my God, two movies with a slow clap. That's, That's amazing. Great. So at the very least, this is kind of the genre, at least the those years where this start a sort of you know was birthed if you will yes it would become a staple for many oh my goodness and then to be made fun of relentlessly for years afterward exactly so beyond that here's my earliest memory of can't buy me love again my early high school career uh i was at a schoolmates party. His name was Jason Ferris. We were at his house in Antioch, Illinois. He had a half pipe in the backyard. He was into skateboarding. I sucked at skateboarding. So I just watched my friends on the half pipe. It was cool. Whatever. I was there hanging out, having a decent time. But then somebody got the idea of let's go down the street to the dollar theater and check out Can't Buy Me Love. And I was like, now that I could get into all about the movies already at that time. And so we go down to the Antioch Theater and, you know, it's a dollar. I think at the most, we still called it the dollar theater. I think it went up to three bucks at some point. We still called it the dollar theater. Regardless, it was cheap. And we, for whatever reason, just, well, I can name a few reasons, but we were in love with this film and we watched it back to back. And it's like not a long movie, as you stated earlier. So we, you know, hour and a half. So we watched it back to back and Unbeknownst to me, it was past my curfew. My mom had been calling for me. She was furious. I and We had started the film again. We were going to watch it for the third time. We were doing a, a three-peat of Can't Buy Me Love. And I'll never forget T.J. Curry coming down the, the hall at the theater and grabbing me and saying, hey, man, your mom's outside. She is not happy. <laughs> and I was like so embarrassed. And I went out and my mom just let me have it. Uh, saying, what were you thinking? It's so disrespectful. I was calling for you. You'd be, you know, past your net. Anyway, oh, can't buy me love. Got me a lot of trouble with my mom that night. She got over it. I got over it. It was no big deal, but it was just a funny memory that's very uh, specific and that I have this attachment to this uh, movie uh, that I, you know, sit in the theater with my buddies at that time and just watch like back to back to back screenings of it. Uh, and funny enough, in the beginning of the film, very quickly, I'm going to make this reference is when Patrick Dempsey and his friend Kenneth see a guy and a girl pull up in a Ferrari and they're like, that's what you need to get. The girl is the fancy car and all the money in that scene. You there's extras that cross in the foreground. It's a mom yelling at her kid. Like you're out past, you know, the time I told you, you get back over here, get back that I'm cracking up to myself. Cause that was me and my mom. <laughs> that's it. So yeah, there you go. That, that was, <laughs> It was foreshadowing what was going to happen to you later. I should have known. <laughs> that's awesome. Couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh my God, that's it. That's my, I should have known. Anyway, those are my earliest memories, initial thoughts. Wow. Yeah. Um, for me, I did not see this in the theater, but I so remember the trailer with um, Amanda Peterson wearing that white suede outfit and getting the wine spilled on her. That right. you just saw in the commercial all the time. And just the image of Patrick Dempsey going down the hall with the slicked hair and high five. Oh, yeah. those are the things that, that stood out, you know, watching trailers from that movie. And then I didn't see, and I don't know why I remember this. I remember seeing it on cable in the middle of the afternoon and I knew it was on and I was playing with friends and I was like, Oh, 
I got to go. I'm going to go watch this movie. And that's what I did. I left my friends to go watch this on cable uh, some some random afternoon whenever it came out on you know, on HBO. So it was probably a year later. But just like you, you know, I was in high school at the time, so I would have probably been going into my junior year uh, when this came out. And um, the whole thing was a lot of hot girls in it. Yep. And for me, I grew up going to an all boys Catholic school. So I think I've always been attached to high school films because I'm like, I, I guess I watch these to see all the things that I missed out on going to an all boys Catholic school. And I had really enjoyed it back then. Um, watching it now. Wow. I don't think it's aged as well. Right. But, it's a different experience. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a different experience. But back then I was certainly a big fan of this movie. That's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. I, this, this category, we we've called it earliest memories and I keep talking about things that I still remember from the film, like memories, like lasting memories versus uh, memories of actually being there in the moment at that time, even though I did tell a little story, but uh, this film just like opened my eyes. I mean, as an adolescent boy, just seeing these cheerleaders, these beautiful girls running around uh, with the pom-poms and doing their thing. It's like, yeah, this is the best movie I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Amanda Peterson was like that girl next door. You pray that you had, and you would be able to date and classic. There yeah, was, she had that there was one, no yeah. one in my neighborhood half as good looking as, as she was, or even her friends. So that was definitely, <laughs> definitely a bike dream. That was, that was not happening anytime soon. Uh, it is too, too funny because I, I, this is not a brag. It's just a fact, but I did go on. Then when I became a senior in high school, I did date the captain of the, uh, the cheerleading squad. Like, nice. I, I, and it may, I just may have, you know, found my drive what came all from this film, you know, there you go. Uh, it's so funny, but uh, yeah, I was one of the lucky ones. Let's just put it that way. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't have a cheerleading squad to. Date, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Poor Bill. Wah, wah. Poor Bill. Um, but yeah, it's kind of weird rewatching this film because this is probably the first time I've, I've seen it in almost 20 years. And it's kind of weird to say, I don't think it holds up that well, but at the same time, mm-hmm. I felt like the movie was too short. There were so many elements. I just thought it was missing. Like the two, the two big things for me was I really wish there was more scenes with Kenneth and Ronald yep. to kind of understand their relationship more. And then how much of him going off with Cindy was really breaking them apart. Mm-hmm. And the other big thing that, that drove me nuts is I actually wanted like almost 10 more minutes of Cindy and Ronald because I wanted to see what it was that made Cindy attracted to Ronald at the end of the 30 days. Cause all they do is they, they kind of show like the first day of school and, you know, Ronald's trying to hang in there. And then all of a sudden they cut to that scene where he's washing her car after they do the, the Saturday date. Right. And she gives up her, you know, innermost thoughts with the poetry. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, man, that's kind of quick. Right. Like, <laughs> I, I, you got to just go with it, Bill. Come on. 
I know, but the, yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. Seeing as an adult no, and then going you're back, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But I just went with it. Yeah, uh, and I almost kind of wish the last date, like, almost wish the last date was almost earlier. That they almost kind of flip flopped that and made the last date earlier, so then she could understand him more, mm-hmm. and why she would give him the the poetry. I I wish I was just the editor, and sure. I'm like, why are you yeah. cutting? Why are you cutting this? This is in the wrong spot. I didn't understand why at the 30 days when they were breaking up, she seemed more upset about it than he was. Cause I didn't see what he did for her to make her fall for him. And I, I felt like there was a lot of scenes that were just kind of cut short or didn't make any sense. Well, this ties into, yeah. yeah. Did you want to share anything else regarding no, that? Go ahead. Um, because that ties into what I think we talk about a lot on this podcast is, how we consumed this product back then versus how we consume it today, the difference in perspective, obviously innocence versus experience. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt so many things watching this as an adolescent teenager in my, you know, formative high school years. And I think I did a lot of assuming I extrapolated, meaning I watched these scenes and my mind went elsewhere as if I could see the entire party sequence play out or an, an entire uh, date night, uh, the lead up, the walking her to the door, even though it didn't actually exist in the film, you don't actually see it, but I was fantasizing and romanticizing it. And that for whatever reason has stuck with me over the years. So when I watch it now, I think a lot of it, I just, I assume I extrapolate, I go, well, now she's, seeing, uh, understand, you know, he's this intellectual guy. He actually, you know, when you take the glasses off and you mess with his hair a little bit, he's an attractive guy, but he's actually listening to me and he cares about what I think when, you know, she already was in a position of popularity and it was a superficial position and she wasn't used to people caring about the deeper side of her, you know, and, you know, I'm thinking all these things, right? Even though it's not really there in the film, sometimes around the surface, they allude to it, but I just, I ran with it. And, uh, right. That's what I wanted to see you, Again, you, you, right. Sure. Absolutely. I agree. Relationship development. And so you really feel it then when they have to play at the uh, play act, the breakup, you know, which I thought was a great, I thought they both were great. I think they're, they're good actors actually. Both Patrick Dempsey and Amanda Peterson were very solid. I would I would agree with that. Some of the others, a bit questionable. I agree with you. Upon when the film starts, it hit me when Patrick Dempsey pulls up on his bike and he's watching the cheerleading squad rehearse. And I was like, ooh, this is this has an after school special feel. There's this is like a straight to video feel. There's something student filmish about this. What is happening right now? This is it really threw me. I was like, Oh my God, this is not what I remember. This is scaring me. I've, I've too many. And I'll tell you what, honestly, Bill, it got me again. I threw somewhere in the second to third act. I found myself back in it again. I think it had some nice moments and it's look, it's not a great film. It's just, it has, it's, it's a niche film. It has its place in those eighties teen romantic comedies, high school you know, coming of age comedies and it still, it works in, but it's very specific to that. And again, I think what 
you know, I carry a certain attachment that still is obviously with me today and their feelings I have attached. So it's like an, an emotional attachment versus just looking at it strictly as a film aficionado or critic. No. And I, I totally understand too, because I had, I guess, higher expectations for my memory of this film and then mm-hmm. kind of watching it. I was kind me of too. like, I was just poking so many holes in it throughout the whole thing. And I was just like, Oh, why didn't they do that? Why didn't mm-hmm. they? All right, that character. Okay, they introduce this character. They introduce this character, and we never see them again. What happened there? Right. I was like, can I just get all the footage and just see what? Is there like a two two hour forty five minute cut? I don't know about just to figure out what this was all about. Because yeah, because I was even thinking, you know, they have that scene where they introduce um, Cindy's mom's boyfriend, and he's like this leery scumbag. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh my God. why don't they Terrible. why don't they put in a scene where like she's there with Ronald and he comes and says something and, and Ronald kind of stands up for her or you know oh yeah just, sure sure that, that would worked yeah just just something like that but I'm like no nope, we just see him he, he you know he, he does the undressing with the eyes and then just leaves and that's that was the end of oh, they really play into the cookie cutter stereotypes uh, yeah especially during that time and some of the sexuality. And, you know, that's where a lot of you can, if you go back and look at, you know, the reviews, which we've done some research, we talked about a little bit already uh, prior to this cast, is that they don't really do a deep dive into the character backgrounds and things like that. It's really a lot of it is on the surface. Yeah. So, you know, right. Yeah. When Dempsey pulls up again on his bike to watch the hers and he's telling Kenneth, his best friend, Courtney Gaines is the actor playing his best friend, Kenneth. You're like, okay. They're just getting cutting right to the chase. This he wants to be one of the popular kids. His best friend says it'll never happen. They're both nerds, like very stereo. They're just playing right into the stereotypes, and mm-hmm. we're just going with that. That's what it's going to be. That conversation is kind of you know it just tries to set up the movie as fast as possible, right? But there was something about the two of them that I'm just like, oh, I just like the chemistry with them. I wanted to yeah. see more of them on screen. And you I think that's an excellent point, Bill. Get it. And I thought, man, this would be more impactful in seeing how their relationship dissolves over time. It would have been. I think you nailed something there, though. It's a real credit to Dempsey and Courtney Gaines, the, uh, Kenneth, to their ability, because I still was impacted by I still felt that they were best friends. And maybe that was coming more from Courtney Gaines because he was so wistful all the time. And, and when they couldn't hang out anymore because Dempsey had become cool. I don't know. But even in the the brief kind of truncated scenes, it still came across and I understood it worked, but it would have been more effective had they delved into it a little bit more. Yeah. And I think that's what really kind of saves this movie is most of the main characters are good enough actors that they're, they're really holding up what they have left to work with. They were still fun to watch. On yeah, some exactly. Level. Exactly. Yeah. They were still fun to watch. And then just my, my other thing with this too, and I guess because I've been watching like a lot of teen movies recently, like to all the boys series, uh, the kissing booth series, and they just seem so much meaner and vindictive in this movie than they, mm. how they're portrayed now. And I think that was a lot of shocking to me watching this. So it's just like, man, they just asshole right away. You know, oh, yeah. even, even the scene where 
you know, Cindy tells them kind of what happens and they just, they're done. They're done with him right there. You know, it's not like, wait, what is she telling us? Mm-hmm. You know, not even like Ronald, is this true? They don't even like Ronald. Is this right. really, is this really true? Let's talk it's about like, it first and really dissect to figure out what happened here. No, yeah. it's you're guilty. Judge, jury, executioner. Yep. It's over. <laughs> Literally turning away from him. And I was just like, Oh, doesn't Iris date the the girl? Oh, I don't know you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she says, I don't know you. (laughs) I don't know you. It's like, ooh. Yeah. He he wants to go home, but there's a party in his house, and then he sleeps, like, in the shed. He's crying. Like, it's just That was tough. Oh, man. Yeah, that was tough. So that was, but that's the thing that I'm talking about, Bill, is that even there, there are moments, especially after that happens, and then through to the end of the movie, where I'm like, I'm kind of feeling this. I'm feeling it. It's not, you know, it's not uh, the Godfather here, but it's no, still, no, not it, at all. It had, it had some moments. It still rings true a little. Mm-hmm. It's that damn nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, do you want to move on to uh, favorite scenes? Let's go to scenes that blew my skirt up. I don't know why I said it so dirty like that. Or, I don't know. Sorry. That's all right. I've got a few scenes. How many do you got? I got two. All right. Why don't you start with one? All right. Not necessarily my favorite scene, but I, I definitely think it's the funniest scene. And it was the whole dance scene with the African eater ritual. Has to be in there. Has to be. Just the whole way that was set up with him arguing with his little brother over, which even makes it funny now because it's like they're fighting over a television to watch American Bandstand. And it's just like this little crappy, like 15 inch color portable television where nowadays it's like i can just watch it on my phone or i can watch it on my laptop or i can watch the fact that they had to fight over this little tv was just even just made it funnier now um going back on it and then watching the wrong channel and not realizing he just learned this african and eater ritual dance and you're just like oh god what's gonna happen yep i uh go ahead it's a classic i mean it's so closely associated to this film, that particular sequence, because it is ridiculous. And it's one of those things where you just, I I feel so terrible for him. Like, I I just know he's going to be so embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I'm red faced. I'm wincing already at the thought of the scene even coming in the film. And I'm like, Oh, this is awful because he's just going to make such an ass out of himself. And of course, you know, it gets totally flipped and he becomes the head of the dance, but Spoiler alert. Sorry. It's okay. It's, it is. I'm glad you brought up the buildup to the scene because he has a great back and forth with his little brother. So we have Patrick Dempsey playing our lead character, Ronnie Miller, who is obviously trying to woo the girl, Cindy Mancini, but his younger brother is Chucky Miller played by the wonderful Seth Green Yep. as such a child. I mean, he's literally a child. He's actually 13 when they made this film, but he's great in this uh, kind of a dick, you know, he's the kind of a, the jerk little brother who's smart. Yeah. Ass. It's total, absolute 100% smart ass. And he won't change a channel when Ronnie comes in, Patrick Dempsey comes in and he wants to watch American bandstand and learn a dance, learn how to dance anything just to, you know, get by during this actual dance with Patty, who's going to be his date that night. And Chucky won't change the channel. And says something about, well, the theory of supply and demand, I have the remote. He actually doesn't get it right. And this is one of my quotes I had actually written down because I thought this was funny and I had forgotten about it is that Dempsey says to his little brother, 
well, okay, let me give you the theory of relativity. Either you put on bandstand now, or I have one less relative. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. Yeah. I love it. The theory of rel- relativity, <laughs> one less relative. And then, yeah, he has the wrong channel on. But uh, it's just that level of embarrassment that I have attached. And, that's, you know, and then the scene is just fantastic. To watch this on this rewatched, watch the not only the uh, other protagonists, lead characters, but then all the extras to start to get into the dance and do the crazy moves. And that just gyration yeah. and is really entertaining. It's very funny. Yeah. And, it, and it's kind of, of course, funny. go ahead, go ahead. No, cause it's funny too, because it does start off where he starts doing the dance and every got, everybody gives him the funny look. And that one girl says something like, Oh, poor guy. And you're like, Oh, it's <laughs> happening. Oh, it's happening. And then, Big John comes in. It's like, oh, if you know, if Ronnie's doing it, it must be, it must, it must be, be cool. Yeah. And it's just cool. It is. It really is. It just shows perception because now he is one of the cool guys. Mm-hmm. I will try this too. Whereas if he was regular Ronald Miller, yeah, he would be he would been laughed off the dance floor, and that and that would have been it for him. Absolutely. And to skip to our uh, facts and trivia, guess who choreographed the African anteater ritual dance? The one and only Paula Abdul, which is just great. I'd love that little bit of trivia. I know. And I heard that she had a cameo in there and I, I missed it to, if, to see if she Yeah, I would be hard to see. I'd have to go back and really look for her in that. Mm-hmm. But supposedly she is one of the extras in that scene. But yeah, like the, the two funny things I was thinking about the scene after it was over was how many dances did he do that to? Because... I would think after one, you would be either exhausted or have the worst headache ever. Oh, can you imagine how sore he was the next day? Exactly. I was like, what did he do for the rest of the songs? Uh, yeah. How does he not like have a, a sprained like everything? Exactly. Like, neck, you see like, him all the next day in little neck braces. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm a great dance. Body cast. Yeah. We got to go see the chiropractor now. All right. And the other thing that drove me nuts was that band that they had was horrible. Oh, uh, Prince and the Revolution wannabes. Exactly. So I I wish the song matched more or they had a good enough song to match with that dance. Because I'm like, imagine that actually took off. That people would hear that song and then start doing. Because like you said, that that scene is so iconic. Right. But if it was tied in with the song, I could actually see like a wedding and someone all of a sudden kind of just doing that for like little kicks or, or whatever. But yeah, oh my the, the music yeah. for that yeah. did not work at all. And I was like, Oh, this, they, they could have made this even a bigger moment, but I still even laughed out loud too. When the friends realized exactly what he was doing. And that just, that was just the icing on the cake that the friends just all laughed that they, in a way they almost turned tables for that split second that they knew that they were doing, this crazy African ant eater ritual dance. Right. So I, I did love that moment. But Bill Ben, you just gave me an idea. You planted an idea in my head. All right. When I ever get married, I'm going to have mate. I don't know if I'll be able to find that actual song from the movie, but I'll have can't buy me love play at least. Okay. And I am going to find some other people. I'm going to recruit some friends Hopefully, my soon-to-be wife would be in on it as well. But we will do the African Annie ritual dance at my wedding. Sounds that good. That would be fantastic. 
I think that's a great idea. There you go. Yeah, I th- that might be a viral video right there, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> might be on something. <laughs> All right, Jason, what, uh, what do you got for favorite scene? So uh, I had that on my list of three. Uh, one of my other scenes that uh, blew my skirt up, and this has stayed with me over the years too, is after uh, Dempsey is one of the cool kids and uh, has actually broken up with Cindy Mancini, but is retained his coolness because he dated her, you know, you know, supposedly, and has now dated a couple other girls. He's hanging out now with the cool guys. He's hanging out with the jocks. He's hanging out with Big John and Quint and Ricky. And part of their Halloween ritual is to shit bomb a specific house in their neighborhood. And they do it every year. I guess, what was it? How many years in a row have they done it? That have been four. Right. So they decide to get Ronnie in on it because he's cool too now. And he's still kind of proving to them that he's going to, be as cool as they think he is. And so he joins in and they basically long story short, they, they throw a bag of shit onto the door. At least Ronnie does. It turns out that this house happens to be his best friend's house, house, uh, Kenneth's house. And obviously it's a horrible thing to do. And, uh, especially to your best friend whom, or was you know someone who's once your best friend, and at the end of the sequence, Kenneth realizes that it is Ronnie. So later on, after Ronnie has been outed by Cindy and everyone knows that he paid her to date him, they all are now, you know, not even talking to him. And he's no longer cool. And he's going around to making his amends. He's basically trying to make his amends to Kenneth. And it's a scene in an arcade. And this is one of my other favorite, you know, favorite scenes from the film is when he goes to apologize to Kenneth and he's just been trying to talk to him. Kenneth won't talk. And he grabs him by the hands because Kenneth is focused on a video game. And Kenneth just grabs him and throws him up against one another. Stand up arcade games says, you shit on my house. You shit on my house. And, you know, Ronnie is just like almost in tears saying, I know, I know, I'm sorry. I know. And Kenneth won't even look at him and just quietly then says one more time, you shit on my house. And that's all he had said. And I thought Courtney again, he was actually quite good in that scene it's emotional and that one always stays with me oh that that was my favorite scene oh there we go yeah that was my favorite scene and that and i think that's why i wanted more of kenneth and ronnie because Mm -hmm. i think that would have made that scene more impactful and i just would think what made that scene great too is you know ronald's hit rock bottom everyone's turned against him and now he's going to slink back to his best friend. And you think, okay, this, this will somehow start the turn. Right. And it doesn't it nope. even, he goes under the rock bottom at this point. And it was just, yeah, it was just perfect. You shit on my house. You shit on my house. It's funny you say that because you think that is going to be the moment where they kind of start repairing the relationship. Right. Yeah. But it almost like backfires. Yeah. Immensely. And Kenneth has such a wonderfully bittersweet just moment there. Uh, and funny thing, because you, you mentioned that, is that there's a scene previous to that in the uh, at the lunch table when we see that Ronnie has been ostracized. He's no longer sitting at the table with the cool kids. He's not, he can't even sit with the nerds. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to talk to him. And uh, one of the nerds says, yeah, kind of, and something I'm paraphrasing, but saying, you know, well, that's what you get. And Kenneth comes to his defense and says, you know, that might be true. He might, you know, be ostracized now, but, but 
man, he was living in the fast lane for four months. It was pretty, you know, must've been pretty cool as if, you know, actually kind of defending him a little bit. Like he, he made it for a minute, you know, he was living the high life for a second. And so you think that maybe Kenneth is already on the path of forgiveness. Like right. he's about, you know, and, but then that scene in the arcade happens like, Oh no, Kenneth not ready to forgive. Right. And rightfully so. Yeah. And that, that was, cause this kind of got in the back of my mind too. And like I said, watching it as older adult than I was as a kid, when they're doing the whole setup scene that, you know, the egg and throw the shit on the house. I'm like, wouldn't Ronnie know right away where they were going? Because if him and, and Kenneth are such good friends, mm-hmm. this would have came up in conversations like, Oh, some, some, you know, a holes egg my house again last night. Oh, and sure. we're gonna, yeah. We're going to try to find that. I got you. Yeah. Kenneth I would have think- said something to Ronnie before, like, you know, right. every would- year this happens. Mm-hmm. On Halloween, somebody shit bombs my house. Right. Yeah. Or at least just eggs the house. So maybe, you know, right, right. maybe not yeah. the shit bomb thing, but at least the egging. So right. should have known going in. And then I, then I was really thinking to myself, like, all right, if, if I was in that situation, would I have done it? And oh. I keep going back and forth. Because, you know, it's good questions. Oh, but then man. you're trying to keep cool status. That's the thing. And that, you know, I mean, you it's mentioned easy to say now how brutal the clicks can be, like how this portrays it in a really brutal fashion. But it was, it could be, it can be brutal in high school. And I think, you know, he just was really enjoying the ride of being being one of the cool kids. So thinking that you could, I probably, to be honest, I hate to say it, I probably would have done it because I think I would have thought I would have gotten away with it without getting caught. Like they, my best yeah, friend. That's true my friend would have never known it was me. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Not knowing, you know, that you might've gotten caught. Yeah. Probably what happened. Oh God. Yeah. I'm not it's awful. Right. But that's yeah, what is. we it's do as high school exactly. kids just to be cool. Yeah. Now we look back and I'm like, never, never, never would have done it. Now oh, you're yeah. like, all right, put your back to yourself in those, you know, 17 year old shoes. Mm-hmm. And, and what would you have done? Crap. I might've done it. Yeah. <laughs> we're all bad people yeah we are but what's uh, no, the time we grow I mean, out of it what's the time we grow out of it we we yeah. learn our lesson and look back at all those stupid things we did as teenagers. oh yeah, I, yeah. definitely yeah that, that could be a whole yeah, that's podcast cool. um, that's a different podcast yeah exactly um, so you have another favorite scene you want to share I do have my favorite scene all right go for uh, it which is is my memorable scene uh, that would be the final scene between uh, when Kenneth is actually at the lunch table helping Patty with her homework and the jocks get wind of it. They see it from a distance and they go to Rasm Quint in particular, whom I'm not sure if he's the quarterback. He seems to kind of fit that stereotype, but I think he is. Anyway, he goes to, uh, he yanks Kenneth away and says, you know, how dare you? You're at the wrong table, nerd, something like that. And then Ronnie jumps up to Kenneth's defense and this is another kind of famous associated sequence. We brought it up earlier with the slow clap. That's where I'm going with this is that Ronnie defends Kenneth. There's a great moment when Ronnie grabs the baseball bat and just slams it onto the table. And I remember the first time seeing this, that kind of gave me a jolt. I was like, oh my gosh, Ronnie is serious. He's going to, he might do something here. Uh, and he tells that bittersweet story about the fact that Quint had broken his leg when he was like 12, I think, and fell out of the treehouse when they all used to hang out together. 
before high school. You know, they all used to be friends, you know, they all, there was no class difference. There was no clicks. There was no, any of that. And, uh, um, they had to carry him to the hospital crying. Anyway, it's a bittersweet scene. And, and I think Dempsey has a great little monologue about, you know, how hard it is just to be yourself, much less try to be cool or a nerd or something else. And then we get uh, big John starts the slow clap after, you know, Ronnie kind of quells the situation and it's cheesy kind of Quint and uh, Kenneth yeah. shake hands and they kind of, you know, Quint apologizes to him and then, the crowd roars and the, the applause. So, but it is my favorite scene because I think the monologue actually is really well delivered by Dempsey and it has a great message. It's positive. It's super over the top cheesy and mm-hmm. really on the nose, but it, it wraps it up nicely. It, it puts a bow on it and uh, it, you know, so that's my always been my favorite scene. Oh, and then you forgot the, all the uh, student faculty is out there. The two. <laughs> school with only two faculty members throughout the whole movie. That's like I just rewatched that scene, and the cutaway to those two, yeah, is priceless because then they're clapping too, and it's like, first of all, what the hell? Well, I guess it is lunch hour, right? But the faculty is there too, just looking on, and but it's just those two. Yep, the whole faculty of two of that whole they've taught every class that they've been in and uh, hang out in bathrooms, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> They just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Always. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, that, that was a pretty good scene. Um, yeah. Like I said, I, I laughed out loud when the clap happened. I'm like, Oh, there's the clap. There's a you know perfect example of the clap. And I get, I guess too, like growing up and going to high school, because like I said, you know, going to an all boys school I, and I didn't have that many kids from my grade school go to high school with me. So I really had to start, with almost all new friends. Like there was like a handful of us that, that, you know, went together from, cause mm-hmm. I went to a really small grade school too. So I don't think something like that. I don't really had a friend that I guess turned that much different from what I always remembered. Did you, did you have something like that happen to you? Uh, if I thought about it, absolutely. I had a lot of friends in grade school that then when we went on to high school, I didn't necessarily uh, talk to as much anymore associate with now I traveled kind of in all circles. I did not. Um, I wasn't, let's say popular outside of high school. Cause I didn't go to parties or anything like that. I was a, a real goody two shoes in high school, but within school, because I was involved with a lot of extracurricular activities, I wasn't just a jock or a band nerd or whatever, you know, all the names they had. Cause I was in theater and band and sports and, academics and all that stuff. So I kind of traveled in a lot of different circles. I was fortunate in that way to kind of be friends with everybody sort of, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely a couple of people that I was like, yeah, I remember I used to talk to her, hang out with them a little bit more when I was younger in grade school. And, you know, you just kind of take your own path and you kind of go in different directions. Uh, So I don't think I ever like purposefully, left somebody behind going into high school because they weren't quote unquote cool. Right. Or cool enough. Cause I, I, you know, but what I was just actually going to say is that because I did travel in all the circle, I kind of always sympathized with different people and different cliques for whatever reason. And that's why I think I'm partial to this scene is this is where the nerds win the day, you know, they overcome mm-hmm. and 
it's a it's a win for them. And that always was like, yeah, all right. They they had their moment. I was sympathetic to the cause. Yeah, it's kind of funny too because I think I'm I'm like you too where I wasn't really in a clique. I just kind of knew everyone and I got along with everyone and didn't really have any problems with anybody and and just that whole lunchroom dynamic was very unique to me too because what we did in school was like your first day you picked a table and you got you know the friends that you knew um whatever lunch period it was and that was your table for the year mm-hmm. and you didn't even really get to go talk like if i if i knew you but you were at another table i wasn't really allowed to go over to you and hang out at your table i had to stay at my table the whole time oh wow so i was that's really stuck with my strict. that's pretty hardcore yeah exactly so i was lunch kind of stuck, rules yeah what the hell stuck with my eight or nine at my table throughout the year like so you know some come over like hey bill <laughs> such and such homework i'm like here here's a copy of it just give it back to me at you know study hall or whatever or vice versa like some of us if we were good at one subject we would just you know share that's when we would share homework I gotcha. Yeah, but we didn't have we didn't have you had assigned tables at lunch. That's crazy. yeah. I mean, like you got to pick who you wanted to sit with that first day, so you weren't necessarily assigned. But that table, oh, okay, that was your that was your table. Yeah. So like your freshman year, it was whoever you went to grade school with. That was kind of like your table, and then you know you'd meet your new friends throughout the freshman year. So then going into your sophomore year, it would be a little bit more of a different group. But there was always someone from my grade school if there's someone at the same lunch period at that table and mm-hmm. then whoever else you kind of you kind of brought in but that was that was your table for the year and uh wow down for lunch yeah that's where you sat so there wasn't that you know oh there's the jock table or there's nerd table right the popular kids sit over exactly. there and the stoners sit over there and yeah mm-hmm. the nerds sit over there the, yeah you know, yeah it was yeah geeks, it definitely the wasn't losers, as the winners yeah focused yeah like you know some of them would maybe sit together but it was still um so yeah always watching uh teen movies with the with the lunch dynamic i'm like yeah i never mm-hmm. i never went through that it was like i got my lunch i knew exactly where i was sitting you know i was sitting somewhere on this table yeah i was i always kind of find that fascinating the fact they were always eating outside especially in arizona that must have been fun right. come uh <laughs> Come come May and June. Get a little like, warm. Can we, yeah, can we get some shade, please? <laughs> Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
price, price line. Let's, uh, let's move on. Um, so it's time for a little Swiss cheese. That's right, because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Oh, and this one's got some holes. Oh, just a few. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Well, you know, right off the bat, I think we kind of covered this, but it was just the fact that the look of the film was not as top, like quality as I now granted this is shot on film and et cetera. This is an eighties movie. So I wasn't expecting to be, you know, watch some sort of spectacle here, you know, some technological achievement, but the way it was shot, it just had a a lower quality feel than I had remembered. So that was my first issue with it. And my question was, wow, did they spend all the money getting the rights to the Beatles song? Can't buy me love. And we'll get into that in the facts and trivia, but so that was my my first, you know, kind of issue. And then I'll go into my next one here is just that how did Cindy Mancini get a life-size cardboard cutout of Bobby, her college boyfriend that went on to play football? I just was that ever a thing? Did you ever get did anybody ever have a cardboard like a life-size cardboard cutout of somebody? Oh yeah, I'm just thinking what are, what are those things now that you could you could slap on your wall? Oh, um, the fatheads? Fatheads, yes. Yeah. So, she had, <laughs> so that, uh, that might have been the incarnation of the fatheads right there. So she got the uh, the boyfriend. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. But uh, so uh, why, did, why don't you rattle off a couple? Yeah, and I kind of mentioned this in the beginning where all these characters are introduced and then you just never see them again. Um, okay. But I, I, but I want to go to a specific scene that made no sense to me. And I was like, did they cut this in half? Was there a reason for this? When Chucky confronts Cindy at the mall and she does yes. the whole powder thing on the face, right. I'm thinking to myself, oh, okay, so this is going to be the moment where Chucky stands up for his brother and says something profound to make her rethink how she's acting to him. Totally expecting that to happen. I- and it never happens. And it's like a joke where he puts the powder in the face and then she threatens to put makeup on him. And he walks away, and I was just kind of like, "What? What was the point of that?" Right, completely, completely. I totally agree. I, I, it was like, did I remember this wrong? I was like, I, even just watching it again and having seen the movie so many times when I was younger, I should have known. But I'm watching it, going, "Oh, this, he's going to say something, you know, really in defense of his brother and something kind of wise for." for his young age and, and really something bittersweet that's going to make, that's going to resonate with her and make her think twice about he, she should give him another chance. And then he just walks off and it's over. I'm like, no, no, that can't be it. That can't be, that can't be the end of it. He's going to turn around, come back and say something. Nope. That was it. Yeah, exactly. Because there's like this whole buildup, which I thought was kind of funny how he was always spying. He was always in the back of the car. So he's, he was in a way almost documenting all this. So he, in essence, almost saw what was going on. Right. So in a way, there was almost a buildup for it, and then there's no payoff. And I was just kind of like... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was like, here we have a character throughout the movie, but then he just disappears. Does he even show up? No, he does show up after that, right? I can't even remember now. Oh, gosh. Um, I'm not sure if it's after that. that, What happens that there's a scene at the dinner table when uh, Dempsey's upset and gets mad at his parents for uh, enabling Chucky and giving him money when right. he's not even 
getting good grades. I don't know if that's before or after. I think that that's might have been before, before that scene. Yeah, might that's kind of why I think Chucky, you know, feels like he kind of got put in place and he should be a little bit more respectful of his brother who's trying to do the right thing. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I got to find out what, what happened. Yeah, speaking of Seth, I put Seth Green kind of in my Swiss cheese segment. Again, you know, for the audience listening at home, I know this is, we're trying, you kind of nitpicking and picking uh, holes here, but it's also just, I have like, for this segment, I have general thoughts also on issues I just had with it. And Seth Green really, really is chewing up the scenery and every chance he gets in this, he's really hamming it. I mean, he's, there's some serious overacting. I think he's funny. You can see uh, where, you know, how he developed later and how kind of his sense of humor. Cause I think he's great. Uh, no doubt about it. Smart guy. He's oh, you know, yeah. got his hands in a lot of different projects and he's done really well for himself and it's all yeah, well it, deserved success. Cause it's funny. Cause he does that uh, executive producer robot chicken mm-hmm. on the cart. And I, I, I love that show. And, and the thing about the family guy and all that, yeah. so many references to eighties toys. Oh yeah. 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 On that, on that show. So I, I totally get his sense of humor. I love watching that just to see what he breaks out. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that toy or I remember that thing from the 80s. So, yeah, right. I'm definitely a big fan of him in that show. Yeah, I'd also point, you know, thought about, uh, you know, there's some awkward dialogue in the beginning, just really on the nose. I had issues with um, the one actor I had a real issue with early on in the especially. I think he gets a little better throughout the film. He has some uh, better moments is uh, the actor plays Quint is like the the Quint, quintessential oh, yeah. quarterback, Court McCown, uh, which leads me to a, a side note here that I was going to bring up later is that some of these, these actor names, like they should have just used their actual real names as <laughs> the characters' names because Big John is played by Eric Bruscotter. And you could see like the names in the credits. I'm like, oh, that's got to be like, he would be the linebacker. Mm-hmm. And then Court McCown, literally, that's a quarterback name. That is like a quarterback Josh, name, Like yeah. Josh McCown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just kind of funny. So uh, he was a little rough. Quint uh, had some tough, tough dialogue in the beginning. It was like, oof, carrying his wine around at mm-hmm. all the parties. Okay, so here's – I'm going to go on to like an actual whole – like a scene that I had a real problem with was when – now we know that Cindy has uh, borrowed the white suede jacket and wine got spilt on it, and she's trying – she goes to the mall to get the jacket, hopefully um, switched out, replaced – uh, like it's like that would happen. Like it just, let's just do an even swap here. I'm going to give you the dirty jacket and you give me a brand new right. one. And at the, at very same time across the mall, we have Ronnie who's about to spend his savings on a brand new telescope uh, for exactly $1,000. And he sees the damsel in distress across the way, trying to get a new suede jacket goes across. And in that sequence, it's there's a couple things here because he is looking through the telescope, kind of giving it a trial run in the actual store in the mall, and he's focusing in on her across the way. And we see her through the telescope lens trying to explain to the clerk in the jacket store, the clothing store, mm-hmm. her dilemma. And she is like gyrating and clearly had gotten some direction, like, okay, you understand that we are looking at you from a distance. So in order for us to understand what you're going through in the scene, you're just going to have to make bigger gestures so we can, so that it's clear. Like she is overacting 
Big time. And I don't think that's her fault. I think she got some bad direction in that moment. And then it goes on to then Ronnie going across to save the day and saying, here, I'm going to give you the thousand dollars to get the new jacket. But here's the deal. You've got to, for the next few weeks to a month, you have to pretend to like me. So then I become popular. So that's the whole, just the premise of the movie. But before he even gets that word out, he cuts back to the telescope store and that guy that's selling telescopes looks through the telescope and we see Dempsey, you know, presenting his uh, offer to Cindy Mancini through again, the lens of the telescope, like this is a cool shot. And I'm like, this is how you're, we don't even get to hear him do his initial pitch to her. It's all these just big gestures of them talking. And then it cuts back to them. I just had, I thought that was a really weird way to, to handle that. Yeah, that I, scene, I, which is so important to the premise of the film. Yeah, I thought it was weird too because it's like, how does he even know to go over and come up with the idea? Because it's not like he walks into the store and kind of overhears the conversation. He's hanging out in the hall in the concourse and then just right. holds up the money. Like, here I got this as if he, problem. yeah, through the glass, heard everything and understood everything just by her frantic motions and and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, oh, that kind of makes it a little bit disappointing so yeah i was i was it's like how did he figure it's like it wasn't like he was at the party to know that she got the wine on the on the suede shirt right and how does he put one and one together like oh he's trying to exchange this because of his mom or she needs a thousand dollars to to do this i just happen to have a thousand dollars i'm gonna walk over like the the part that he had the there was equal price that didn't bother me but it was just the fact that he could somehow figure it out and then come up with the idea without even kind of knowing what was going on. Yeah. That, that didn't, that didn't work for me. It was just a really awkward scene and it should, and that's a big scene. That's an important scene, you know, Mm -hmm. when he's making his pitch. So I thought that was weird. What, what else do you got? I'm going to follow that up. Um, Jason, do you ever think uh, Ronald bought the telescope? Oh, I I had another follow-up to that. Uh, So, did he ever buy the telescope because, well, he spent the grand or, you know, he blew it on the jacket. Right. And so that, but he's still gone, on. but he had more than a thousand dollars. That was my follow-up. He had $500 in addition, which he was going to invest in a money market fund. Mm-hmm. That's pretty wise for a young, you know, teenager to get into some investing, I thought, but yeah. uh, uh, so what does he do with the additional $500 then? Does he, you know, decide to save that and build on that with more uh, of the lawn cutting money and uh, yeah, finally get that telescope. That's a hmm. you know question that is. Does he get the girl and the telescope? And the telescope. We'll never know. And then just, just even make it more ridiculous. I was like, don't they have sales tax in Arizona? So I don't think the telescope is really a thousand dollars. You got to slap on some tax on that bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going back to that scene, didn't it seem like the the uh salesman in the telescope that store was quite he was really desperate. Like he, he seemed like he was really <laughs> upset when Dempsey left the store, like, oh my god, I'm losing a sale. I'm about <laughs> to lose. This is this is could be my job. Exactly. It's like we gotta close down. <laughs> he should have just saw the, the steel bar thing come pulling down like clearance <laughs> going out of business because he didn't sell the thousand dollar telescope. Yeah, he had like this desperate, like anguish look on his face, and I was like, "Oh, this poor guy. He's just—he really—he was so close. He's so yeah. close. Thousand dollar 
you know, say he was going to get a commission. Go, but now, now he's got to sit on my shelf for another six months to a year. You know, don't you, didn't you, don't you always think about that? If you go to the mall like that and you see these kind of specialty stores like that, with like maybe it's a luggage store mm-hmm. or something, and you see as a salesman in there and you're like, wow, I mean, how often do they actually make a sale? You know, this is where, or you see a store where it's, it's just kind of tailor-made for perusing and not actually purchasing. Oh, that makes I, sense. I was thinking about the, the people at the kiosk ones that I'm just oh, like, yeah. I was like, could you go all week and not sell a thing like your little flying, you know, helicopter thing or whatever it is? Yeah. yeah some sort of uh, kitsch, weird, like sharper image kind of thing. That's but like not even that high quality. Right. As seen on TV products or something like that. Yeah. I feel for those guys. I do. Yeah. It's oh, tough. Man. It's a tough racket. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I always think about that too. Even just, yeah. Like you said, specialty stores. I'm like, how often do people even walk in? And I just think of all these stores too, especially living out here. Like these are all these stores I will never walk into mm-hmm. in my life because there's no reason for me to go in there. I don't need yeah. any of this stuff. But, but someone, you could understand why a salesman would be so eager to pounce when if they think even get think that you're about to purchase something. Exactly. Like, oh my God, this is it. Yeah. So my other thing, and I've mentioned this a couple of times about just characters that come come and go. And, you know, I did mention the boyfriend, uh, Rocky. And then the other one that I never in in the opening scene where we see Ronnie on the uh, lawnmower and he Mm -hmm. finishes and that little kid runs up to him. Oh, yeah. At first, I thought that was I thought that was his brother. Me, too. Absolutely. (laughs) And then he runs off. And we never see him again. I was like, oh, that's hilarious. That's so true. Who is that kid supposed to be? And then he goes home and then they show the tree house. And then there's two kids down there and he's yelling at somebody. And I'm like, well, who are those people? Yeah. Yeah. Was he he yelling at Chucky? Was Chucky in the tree house? I think it was supposed to be Chucky. Like, you need to, you know, it's dangerous. You know, get down or whatever it was he said to him. I think it's supposed to be Chucky, but I don't. So that must have been just another kid from the neighborhood that was f- friends with Chucky with his younger brother. I guess. But yeah, there's just so many characters that you just you just saw them in one scene and then goodbye. And that that was driving me nuts. Too funny. That's so true. I forgot about that kid in the very opening scene when he's on the lawn. Okay. Moving on. Yeah, what else do I have here? So obviously Cindy agrees to this deal that Ronnie is presented and now she's going to pretend to like him a, you know, sort of date him, hang out with him in school. So it looks like they're together. So, but they have to first make a negotiation. So on the first day of school, she drags him outside and around the corner to negotiate the terms of their agreement. And this is hilarious to me because the back and forth, the over the shoulder shots, right? It's a two, there's a two shot, two person, two people in the shot. It's a conversation. And the over-the-shoulder shot from the angle from behind Dempsey looking at Amanda Peterson as Cindy Mancini is too low. So her f- head is cut like her. You only see like from her mouth up, her chin is like cut off. Uh-huh. So the camera is in the wrong spot. And then when it flips to over her shoulder looking at Dempsey, it's like almost an aerial shot. I'm over <laughs> I mean, like exaggerating, but it's at a totally different angle looking down on them. And it must have, you know, he probably, whoever the, this camera guy was 
had to get up on top of a bush or something. Probably it was just like tight quarters. But it, that scene uh, just cracks me up because I'm like, oh my gosh, you can't see, you can almost not see your face. This is hilarious. Yeah, the two things that made me laugh in that scene were one that his sleeves perfectly came off, and oh, right, definitely made the shirt look a lot better though. And, oh, it did. Yeah, absolutely. And I did laugh when she pulled out the moose and and sprayed it in her hair because I I, I sat and we watched it with my my wife and I turned to her and I'm like, did you, you carry moose back then? And she's like, right. I didn't. And she's like, maybe some of my friends did. I don't I don't remember. Like. Was she either really prepared because she knew just how bad Ronnie's hair was that she's like, I better bring the moose and take care of his hair. She was very prepared. Yeah. Or she just, yeah, just always just happens to carry moose around, which I'm, well, I'm sure some people listen days. to this. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah, big hair was big. So I'm sure half the people listen to the podcast like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, had that. I had a can of Aquanet in my you know purse. Right. Wasn't that the aerosol hairspray? Wasn't oh, yeah. That one of them? I mean, I always had my trusted comb. Ah, good times. Got to go for the big hair. Mm -hmm. That's too funny. So play it on that. I'm going to go straight into the, you know, because right after that, she, so to dress him up or dress him down to make him look hip, she takes his glasses off. And I think when they go back into the school, he sort of stumbles once, but it looks like he's just being kind of goofy, awkward. After that, he's fine. Just fine without his glasses. Could he see the whole time without his glasses? (laughs) When yeah. is that ever? There's is there ever any reference to him not being able to see without his glasses after that? No, not at all. That's a good one. <laughs> okay. I didn't think about that. As soon as you said take off glasses, I'm like, oh yeah, he should not be able to see right now. <laughs> There's so much like that could have been a running joke, you know. Or maybe or maybe he was wearing prescription shades, and that's what uh-huh. at that uh-huh. at that point. That's good. He does break, that's yeah, good, he does Bill break out the shit. Yeah, that's pretty quick. But no, Massive. yeah, he should definitely be uh, bumping around and stumbling mm-hmm. all the time. Well, at least in the beginning. Yeah. Was he nearsighted or farsighted? Gee, I wonder, wonder what it was. No, that's a good one. Yeah, just say, you know, we'll go get you some contacts or something like that. Yeah. That's a, that's a good Swiss cheese. Uh, do you got anything else for Swiss cheese? No, that was it. Uh, I'll try to run through the rest of what I have here somewhat quickly. Did you have cooking class in high school? Every high school movie always kind of has that home economics. I'm like, I, yeah, I don't know any high school. Like I get like like it. shop, right? Wood shop, like there's yeah, classes shop, like yeah. that. But there, this was like an actual cooking class. It appeared because you have Big John uh, cracking open an egg and eating it raw. And there's a it's a super cheesy scene. But immediately I'm like, Ricky's sitting in the back with no shirt on. He's just got <laughs> his apron on. I'm going, how what? Dude, I, are you not wearing a shirt? I put on your shirt, and I hope you don't eat, you know, cook normally outside of school without a shirt on. That's just not hygienic. I think you're, there's some health code violations here right now. I had some serious issues with that. Well, and it's hard too for the faculty to patrol that because it, it, there's only the two. So there, there were probably someone else somewhere else That's in the right. school. <laughs> So he's not where you know. He's like, yeah, I just feel like taking my shirt off. No one's gonna bust me. They're like, where's where's our uh, cooking? Where's our class? Where's the teacher? Oh, she's well, she's teaching three other classes at the same time, so she's she's not with us right now. So we can do whatever we want. Oh, this this is something I want to ask because I this is something I never experienced in high school either because my school's kind of nowhere. Did you have the after school hangout like pizza joint place that you guys all went to after school? 
Did we did. Like we actually did have oh, kind okay. of a, a place. We it wasn't necessarily after school, but it was sometimes it was like an after sports, after practice kind of thing. We didn't do it every day. You know, normally we'd we'd be hanging out at somebody's house, to be honest. But we had RJ's Eatery. It okay. was a pizza place in uh, right across from the Linden Plaza in Lindenhurst, Illinois. I've never experienced that. Our our big thing was um, like in Philadelphia, like Seven Elevens are are big everywhere, but in Philly they're called Wawas, and they're huge. Okay, but they're but they're like the Seven Eleven, just twenty four quickie mart kind of thing. You just go in, grab your candy, big gulp or whatever, and get out. We never had right like, sit down, order pizza, hang out kind of place. So I, I'm always fascinated because you always see that in so many of these films. I'm like, yeah, never never did that either. So totally, 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 totally oh, missing man, out. Bill, dude. <laughs> I know. Worst now I'm just feeling sorry for you. This worst is, high school ever. Just, oh, you just, you really have to live vicariously through these films. Exactly. Though. And I think that's why I watch so many of these. I just, I, I just love them. Me and my wife all the time. It's like, what's on Netflix? I'm like, oh, here's one of these, you know, oh, high, yeah. high school. This is what this, my high school Yeah, let's check it out. This is what I wish it was like. about. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I get to experience any of these moments. All right. You have uh, anything else for Swiss cheese? Sorry. I do. I'm sorry. I'm just going to keep going and you can edit this out later if you want to. But during the shit bomb scene and Halloween, they shit bomb Kenneth's house. Not very inconspicuous here. They, Big John <laughs> yes. parks his van <laughs> across the street. I know. Uh, I, I re- recognized it in the movie, but I can't take full credit for pointing this out because it was in some of the research also. But it is hilarious, right in plain sight. Yeah, and luckily, but it's, and, yeah, it's a ahead. very nondescript van, so it's oh, not like yeah, you would sure. be able to recognize right. it. Yeah, it's got like loud color design, and then they even call Ronnie by his name. Yeah, during you know when they're getting kind of they have to get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah, oh, hilarious. So, like, just obvious. Uh, one scene later on, then uh, Dempsey's talking to Cindy in the hallway, and she's trying to kind of make reparate, like, trying to repair things a little bit. And he's got his eyes on Iris, a few lockers down. He's leaning his head against the locker. I don't know if you, he pulls his head away. You can see the hair gel on the locker. Oh, really? It's hilarious. Yeah. Oh. You see a whole big smear. <laughs> it's great. That's great. It's like, oh, well, he's really wearing hair gel. Yeah. Well, that's all I got, Bill, back for my uh, Swiss cheese segment. All right. So that wasn't on. enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sure we might have missed 10 or 20 other things. but Right. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. Let's move on. Our next segment is called, Hey, It's That Actor. So uh, this is an actor we point out who's either um, a character actor we've seen in a ton of films or a actor who's gone on to bigger, better things. And it was one of their first roles, or um, we just want to point out for the, to the masses to uh, learn about them. So Jason, who's your, Hey, it's that actor. Okay. So I'm going to preface this a little bit to something that actually happened to me today. As I was going over my thoughts, as I was driving, I was thinking about what am I going to talk about tonight with camp Miami love. And I was thinking about the cooking class scene and that Ricky kid with no shirt on, he's wearing his apron just in, in just shirtless. And I'm like, who does this guy think he is? This Ricky guy. Like, he's just all like Rico Suave. And I'm like, wait. And then <laughs> I'm looking over the cast and I can't Bill Bant. I can't believe I didn't know this. I'm a fan of this movie. I did not know this. Ricky, the actor that portrays Ricky is the one and only Gerardo, Gerardo, Mejia, 
the, who became famous for the single Rico Suave. That's his song. And I was like, you, oh, no wonder he looked, because I'm like, he looks like the guy who sings Rico. It is the guy. Yep. That's him. I didn't know this either. I, I kid you not. I shit you not. Bill, I said that to myself when I was driving today, or I thought it to myself. I'm like, yeah, he's just sitting there trying to be all cool, thinking he's all Rico Suave. And I'm like, oh, my God, it is Rico Suave. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. So that's my hey, it's that actor. is That's Gerardo or Gerardo, however you want to pronounce his name, that saying who later on went to fame because that's it. He was he continued to act. He was an actor. He was in a lot of other uh, actual uh, bigger films, too. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, but uh, most famously for, you know, that big single in the 80s. Yeah, I did not put that together either, too, until I was looking up the cast and I was like, holy crap, that's yeah, Rico Suave. That's awesome. Um, so my yeah. hey, it's that actor um, is a character actor. He was the store clerk that was that Cindy was trying to buy the new suede thing from. His name's uh, Steve Franken, and yeah. he's been around forever. And his first big role was in the uh, TV show, um, The Many Lives of uh, Dobie Gillis, with Bob Denver, who tr- turned around to be um, Gilligan from Gilligan's Island. Oh. But his big movie role was in the Blake Edwards film, The Party, with Peter Sellers. And he played the butler in that scene who just Peter Sellers drove crazy throughout. So I was just watching this. I'm like, oh, my God, I've seen this guy in something else. So, yeah, it was Steve Franklin. And Steve Franklin has probably been in almost every TV show from Batman to Seinfeld. He's had a guest appearance in it. So if you're a big TV fan... He has basically been in almost any show you've watched uh, during that that time frame. So he is definitely the definitive character actor, uh, Steve Franken. So that's my hey, it's that's that actor. Good call, man. Good call. I like it. All right. You want to move on to some facts and trivia? Yeah, facts and trivia. Let's talk about the, I guess, the big one first. Um, unfortunate yeah. tragedy uh, with this film. Amanda Peterson, who played the lead, um, Cindy in this, passed away at the age of 43 from a drug overdose that was brought on from, I guess, uh, surgery. But unfortunately, before this, she had quit acting about seven years after this film was over, hit some rough patch, she was arrested a couple times. She did get into drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. kind of put herself in isolation, cleaned up her act. But unfortunately, she, you know, she did, she did die from overdose. And then after she passed away, it unfortunately comes out that she was supposedly raped in the making of this film. And we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know who did it from the research that I did. It doesn't sound like it was someone in the cast. It was someone behind the scenes production or whatever. And I'm not going to speculate who it was. And yeah, but, um, and it really, really affected her Mm -hmm. to the point where she quit acting, turned to drugs and alcohol then tried yeah. to clean herself up, but eventually it did do her in. And it's just, it's, it's an unfortunate, sad, dark cloud over it's this tragic. film. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's crazy because like doing a lot of research to, you know, to find out what, what had really happened. And, you know, some of the stuff came out, like I said, she passed away in 2015. And the fact that we didn't, no one knew about it until after she unfortunately passed. And then, you know, it, it came out from her parents, not even her, that this, mm-hmm. had, this had happened. It, it's scary. Yeah, it's it's a scary thing that happens. It's, it's, it's upsetting. Really- it's sad. It's all of those things combined. Yeah, no doubt about it. By when I said I was like, oh, I like I kind of 
I lost my breath for a moment because she's an absolute sweetheart in the film. Uh, great look. And as I mentioned uh, at the top, she's a good actress. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, because you're kind of like, what happened to her? Why Why did she not do more yeah. stuff? And then it's this, yep. unfortunately, the filming of this really affected her and affected her work and affected her life and in a way brought about, you know, her death because of it. Right. Um, she really had to go through a rough time to kind of get out of it. And yeah, I guess supposedly when she had passed, she had been clean for two years, uh, but went in for uh, a procedure and that, yeah, she overdosed on the pain medication. Accidental overdose. Uh, yeah. Morphine was involved, uh, some gabapentin, some other things. But, uh, you know, uh, this is just from, you know, the research that we've done. So mm-hmm. regardless uh, yeah. it's a tragedy. So, yeah, there's definitely a dark side to it. And luckily now, you know, more people are putting their foot down that this doesn't continue, um, going on, but yeah, it's definitely a dark side of Hollywood where these stories are, are slowly coming out. And, um, we unfortunately cannot be surprised by them because it's been happening for a long time. No question about it. Yeah. All right. Do you have a, a, a fact or trivia that's a little more? We yeah, lighter? we had mentioned obviously Paula Abdul choreographed the African ritual dance. The original script type title uh, this was originally written by Michael Swardlick, and the original title was "Boy Rents Girl." And the studio at the time was worried about the prostitution kind of uh, attachment there, clearly, and that this film was just going to be sexploitation. The one of the original drafts too, I think that he had written, this was an R rated film. It had some, you know, pretty graphic sexual explicit things in it. And Steve Rash, the director had to do rewrites to get the R rated stuff out and uh, put in, he takes credit for the airplane graveyard boneyard sequence that date, having taken out some of the R rated stuff. Yeah, that's kind of funny, too, because there was a scene I was thinking about kind of going back where he's on the date with Patty and they're in the car and Patty's yes. kind of putting the moves on him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was kind aggressive. of one. Yeah. And yeah. I was kind of wondering and I was kind of wondering, I was like, was that originally a topless scene? And they recut it because when you look at it, it's kind of got that. Were they going for the R rating originally? And then you could see her. It, it felt like it was right on the cusp a few times through the film where they could have gone a little in that clearly in that direction. I, I was like, cause I even remembered seeing you got a lot of girls walk, you know, kind of run around a little bit, you know, I don't yeah, know. Scantily clad. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. So it's a very lax dress code at that school. Yeah. I was like, uh, okay. Is this, is there something I forgot or and now I'm going, Oh, maybe this is really why I like this as a teenage boy. Mm-hmm. But I was like, okay, this is really gets close to the edge of that. Again, that R rating a couple of times yeah. you see. So yeah. Cause I originally thought I was there. like, did they shoot it? R? Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. PG maybe they 13? just, yeah. They cut around it, cut something, something ended up on the editing floor because it was too much. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm kind of not surprised point. that it was written R and then they tried to write a PG 13, but I'm kind of like, I wonder if they shot it R too. And once yeah. touchstone was going to get their hands on it, they're like, uh, yeah, no <laughs> PG 13. I've got a few other things. I've been just no, go for it. Okay. The actress Tina Caspary, uh, who plays Barbara, one of Cindy's best friends, the taller one, 
if you recall, was the original Kelly Bundy in the pilot for Married with Children. She made good Kelly. Yeah, I could see, I can see it. Um, but obviously, she has the same and, birthday as me. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, she's older, but we uh, we were both born the same day, so we have a That's connection fine. now. There I'm you happy go. About that, yeah. One little piece of trivia that is very amusing is during the cheerleading squad sequence when they are practicing in the beginning of the film on the football field. In the background, you can actually see a crew member striking. There's a crew <laughs> member on strike. He's holding a sign. You can see him in the background behind the fence. It's quite amusing. This one in particular I absolutely love is that during my favorite scene, the scene that blew my skirt up, it was the finale when Ronnie is defending Kenneth in the face of Quint. After Ronnie saves the day, so to speak, and he leaves, we see Kenneth put his hands in his pocket after he shakes hands with Quint. Quint apologized to him. Kenneth puts his hands in his pocket in the back right of the screen. You can see two extras. There's an African-American gentleman wearing a black T-shirt and then a a gentleman saying next to him in a pink T-shirt, like a pink polo with sunglasses on. And the kid in the black T-shirt sucker punches the kid with the pink T-shirt on in the stomach. It's really funny. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and watch that now just for that scene. And it's not a hard punch. It's like they're kind of goofing around. But if you're not expecting it or you paying attention to it it's kind of funny like the extras are goofing off in the background kind of thing but it is once you see it then it's a little distracting you know what i mean like that's yeah exactly it's really funny like this kid is just like i'm just gonna hit this guy in the gut at this bittersweet moment of the movie yeah just an interesting fun fact because you know every time you have these high school uh, movies, you know, the actors are always a little bit older than, you know, what they're supposed to play. So I, I remember for me being a senior in high school, I was only 17 years old when I graduated. Um, so I'm just going to run down some of the cast members and what their actual age was when they were yeah. filming. Yeah, so uh, Patrick Dempsey, of course, played Ronald Miller, was 20 at the time. Yeah. Uh, Amanda Peterson, who played Sydney, was 15. Uh, Courtney Gaines, who played Kenneth, was 21. Uh, Tina Caspery, who played Barbara, one of... Uh, Cindy's friends was was 16. Darcy DeMoss, who played Patty, and this would explain why she would be the one that would ex, uh, show possibly possibly had showed her boobs, was 23. Right. She um, was older. That's right. Yeah. Eric Bruscotter, who Big John, he was 20. Devin DeVasquez, who was Iris. Yeah, she was 23. And okay. um, Amy Dolans, who we even mentioned, um, uh, Vicky Dolans's uh, daughter. Um, Mickey Dolan's from the Monkees. Uh, she, oh, Fran, wow. she was she was she was seventeen. Rico Suave was uh, <laughs> and Geraldo. He was twenty one. So yeah, little little playing above their ages, except for like two or three of them. So they, yeah, they were older. Right. I hate I, and I hate to be the one to uh, to point this out though, just in case you'd said uh, Geraldo. And I just wanted people to know it's it's Gerardo that Gerardo. The, Sorry, not not the the famous talk show host. No, the, not at all. Not at all. That got hit in the face of the chair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, which would have been awesome too. You know, exactly. it could have been man if Geraldo had played Ricky. I mean, yeah. this this is a different movie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> a shirtless Geraldo. 
Yeah. Class. All right. Well, that that saves us some angry emails. We've got that straightened out. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I just, just that all I, I could think is like, oh, hurrah. I'm always at every podcast. I got to butcher someone's name, so <laughs> I got to I got to keep I got to keep no, it going. I call you out every time, Bill. That's fine. We're four for four. I appreciate that. <laughs> all right. Um, so moving on to the box office. Um, yeah. This movie's budget was 1.8 million dollars, and we know a hundred thousand of it went to the rights for the song yep. can't buy me love it ended up grossing 31.6 million dollars uh debuted in the theaters on august 14th 1987 at number three and never got higher than number three the two movies that beat it out its opening weekend were uh stakeout and uh, the james bond living daylights and right what movie it did beat out that also debuted that week um ended up number four was no way out with kevin oh. costner yeah. Love that film. Yes. We got to uh, do that one. Yeah. So that'll be, yeah. I was, I was surprised to see that, that no way out ended up make grow some more money overall. Eventually, not that mm-hmm. much more, but yeah. How Can't buy me that? love be no way out on this opening um, weekend. Um, Cisco and Ebert, which usually talk about did not review this movie on at the movies, but uh, Roger Ebert gave it a glowing review, half a star. And um, I don't even think Gene Siskel, I couldn't even find a review from him on this. So I'm uh, sure he probably did not give anything much better. So, um, yeah, so this takes us uh, to our ending, our closing thoughts. So, Jason, right. anything? You know what? Like I said earlier, you know, in retrospect, watching it again, it does have a little bit of a, you know, it's a cheesy movie. It's not a great film from a technical perspective, but it still works for me. I got to admit, uh, I still have a lot of the same attachments and just kind of nostalgia and what it was like kind of being in high school and the clicks and the, you know, trying to get the girl and, and doing anything just to be cool and the compromise and sacrifices you make as far as your character and dignity. And anyway, uh, I thought Dempsey Dempsey's is, is great. And it, again, Matt Peterson is great. Uh, there's a, there's some good actors in this movie and they, they managed to pull it off. Courtney Gaines is the best friend. I mean, it has some great scenes. So anyway, um, other final thoughts, who else can rock a pith helmet? I love the fact that Patrick Dempsey is wearing a pith helmet, riding the lawnmower in the opening. And I just wanted to ask you, have you ever seen any other, who, who other actor or character do you, comes to mind just being able to, to pull off the pith helmet? You know, it's funny that you mentioned that too, because I, because I think at that end scene where he wears that cowboy hat, and I was kind of like, "Yeah, dude, you got to drop the pith." <laughs> yeah, it just that stick was with the cowboy hat. He yeah, really went from totally geek to totally chic. Yes, that was the ultimate transfer. That's the real arc, the journey from innocence to experience. So you went from the light colored pith helmet to then the dark colored, the black cowboy hat, right? Mm-hmm. Symbolizing innocence to experience so the only other character i can think of that that really pulls off the pith helmet is colonel mustard from there you go from yeah the game clue i would say oh maybe jack black and the jumanjis there you go yeah good good call but but i was gonna say so i don't think we can add a third of that list christie like uh oh yeah um didn't um oh Hercules Percourt, whatever that character is. It, is. Yeah, yeah, the the detective from you know yes. Murder on the Orient Express, and yes, is he? Uh, it's some, it's something. Uh, yeah, it's um, Death on the Nile. Yes, thank you. I think that may be it. 
Yes, anyway. I, th- I think he. Yeah, but yeah, we we, don't, we couldn't we couldn't come up with a top ten. That's for sure. <laughs> I think we'd be stuck after four. Uh, other final thoughts. This movie does have some great quotes. That, that uh, almost quite risque scene with the you mentioned that the actress was showing her breasts to Ronnie. Uh, I when she says, "There's only one other titty quite this pretty," I just had to say that out loud. <laughs> And then she shows him her other breast, mm-hmm. the other thing. And then after he has his experience with her, he's got the he's sitting in bed looking at his calendar with this blanket over his head, like with a flashlight looking at his calendar. And his line is, "It's been seventeen years, three months, and five days. That's a long time to wait for some tip." <laughs> Uh, the best quote really is you shit on my house, man. You oh shit yeah. On my house though. That really is it. Uh, outside of, of course the, uh, totally geek to totally chic, but you shit on my house, man. That's, that's an impactful one. Yeah. Talked about the slow clap. Uh, I kind of like, there are some nicer moments in the end. I'd like when, when Cindy jumps off the back of the car at the end to go after, uh, Dempsey who's riding away on the, the rider lawnmower. And mm-hmm. Patty yells after her, says, go for it. Like, go, you know, yeah. uh, actually supporting her and, and uh, like that moment at the very end. And I, I actually love that final shot uh, with the sun setting. And there you just see the silhouette of them driving off on the rider lawnmower is a great shot. But um, yeah, you know, outside of that, I have a question for you, Bill Bant. Go for it. So. We know Patrick Dempsey. We haven't talked about this yet. We can do this quickly if we want. Kind of, you know, he worked as an actor for, you can look at IMDb. He just either didn't choose or ended up in, or it may may not have been his fault, but just wasn't any big title projects. He kind of fell off the map, off our radar for a long time after some late 80s films, early 90s films. I remember him showing up in Outbreak, and I was like, what happened to this dude? I thought he was going places after Can't Buy Me Love and vaguely remember Loverboy after that. But I was a big fan of that one. Yeah, right. And then, so my question is, you know, and of course he makes such a tremendously huge comeback with Grey's Anatomy and he's uh, Dr. You know, McDreamy. And my question is to you, who are your other actors that has have that same uh, comeback had had a huge comeback like that just fell off the radar, fell off the grid, disappeared, and then just came back with a vengeance. Who else comes to mind for you? Uh, the first one that pops in my head would be would be Michael Keaton. Oh, didn't even think. Yeah, sure, because sure. after he did Batman, great he did, call. He did a string of films. They didn't do well, and then he just kind of disappeared for a while. Mm-hmm. And then he came back to do the Birdman. There might have been yep. a movie before that, though. And then all um, of a sudden, gets just because I've been listening to some other podcasts. I know you know, like Jackie Brown, and then he appears in Out of Sight. But that was even before. That was still late nineties. Birdman was huge for him. And then uh, the Founder. Yes. Was, um, you know he's been doing. Uh, I've, I've, he's actually hilarious in uh, the other guys with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg mm-hmm. as the police captain. 
Yeah, because I kind of remember when I first moved out here, I was like, man, I would love to write a movie for Michael Keaton to have him come no back. Doubt. Because Dude, I loved he was him huge. so much. He was huge. Yeah. He, I mean, Mr. Mom, Batman, even before that, Night Shift. Uh, but, you know, you go into Beetlejuice. I mean, come on. He's yeah, that, we will definitely be doing a lot of his movies uh, for the eighties. Yeah, to me, it was it was like, who did I like more, Tom Hanks or Michael Keaton in the eighties? That's mm, that's yeah. that, that that was my big two there. Um, and then another actor, because now we're just talking about that, I, I think about who made a big renaissance was uh, John Travolta. Yeah, he's on my list. Yeah, he 100%. kind of disappeared and then came back. He's one of the first picture. that really comes to mind. No okay, doubt. Yeah. that's like yeah, huge. And then I'm thinking of a couple other actors that did the same thing where they they were in films and that's kind of where they got their break, fell off the face of the earth, came back and just made made it big in TV. And Jason Bateman is is oh yeah, guy. that's a good one too. Yeah. Because he comes back with arrested development and now Ozark, he's directing, producing, acting, and he's killing it. Absolutely killing it. But yeah, especially with um actresses going from movies to television. Yeah, there would definitely be a whole list for that too. Um, think of like Glenn Glenn Close, who was really big there, and then she moved on the TV. Sure. Robin Wright did a similar thing too with oh, uh, yeah. House of Cards. Yeah, she uh, hadn't really done anything for a while, and then she came back with that. Yeah, and that's really kind of the thing, the way of things now with the advent of TV. Really, with the TV, these. You know, I was listening to another podcast recently, and it's just a fact of that's just the state of affairs right now is not just television shows in general, but the miniseries so that you can get large, you know, big, big name stars attached to a project that's a a, a limited series, an eight episode, 10 episode run. So you get somebody and they don't have to make such a long term commitment, but they can do a quality show for eight to 10 episodes. They're in, they're out. And that's what these big, you know, big names are doing now. And that's what happens is now these stars are coming back with these, these great shows. Mm -hmm. Do you have any uh, final thoughts, Bill Bant on can't buy me love? Yeah. So um, for me, like I said, I hadn't seen this movie in 20 years and part of me almost wishes I did not watch it again. Yeah. Cause it's like, Oh God, this is not how hold up as well as I remember it. Cause I, I, I really put it up there. It's like one of my favorite high school movies from the eighties. And now I'm kind of like, uh, if you were someone my age and you were going to watch this for the first time, I don't think I would recommend it. I, this is a recommend for maybe the 15 to 20 year old. Mm-hmm. Group. And outside of that, I, I don't think you would appreciate it as much as we did when we were that age watching it for the first time. So it's one of those movies. Like I did like it. I, I still like it. Um, but yeah, I was definitely picking it apart more. And I'm like, yeah, if I had, was watching this for the first time now doing this podcast, I would, I, I mean, I wasn't that kind to it during this, but I really would have ripped it to shreds. Uh, right. But the nostalgia of it made me be a little more lighthearted with it. So yeah. good, yeah. but not. Um, I agree. I think, I agree. I think it's in the lower tier of the teenage high school comedy films of the eighties. It's mm-hmm. it's up there. It's just not in. It's not top tier. Not like a. Let's just go with Breakfast Club off the top of my head. You know. Yeah, if you're, I mean, if you're a big Grey's Anatomy fan and you wanted to see what else, you know, Patrick Dempsey had done, and you want to go back and and watch this, then it, it might be kind of mm-hmm. cool. But 
just to see what he did when he was was younger. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I would stay away from it if you if you haven't seen it before or if you haven't seen it in a long time. Trust us, you don't need to watch it again. Remember it for what it was and just keep it there. Just, just keep it there. there. Yeah, right. just leave it there. All right, all right, I can accept that. <laughs> all right uh so with that you know uh thanks everybody for listening um you can email us at all 80s movies podcast at gmail.com please send us your feedback questions or recipes to share you can follow us on facebook at all 80s movies podcast join us again next week as we discuss the 1986 cult action adventure comedy big trouble in little china starring yeah. kurt russell yeah. Control, dennis dunn and james Hong. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good night, world. <laughs>